This is the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of this podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. Welcome, Notorious Bakersfield listeners. I just want to start out by saying that this year's Halloween tour is up and running. I was set to launch it Saturday, October 1st, but I had some technical issues that made me have to delay the launch by about 24 hours. But it's up and running and ready for you to take it. And the good thing about this year's tour, everyone is complaining about inflation. But here at Notorious Bakersfield, there's no inflation. This year's tour is only $20, exactly what it was last year. If you aren't familiar with these tours, they're self-paced audio driving tours. You take it when you want to at a pace that's suitable for you. This year's tour will take you to true crime locations in Southwest Bakersfield. And I've added a couple of creepy stories. The link to purchase this tour is at NotoriousBakersfield.com. Look for the link to the Halloween tour. Before getting into this week's story, I want to warn you that it contains graphic child abuse and neglect. For a span of 17 months in the mid-1990s, eight children in Kern County died as a result of abuse. Often these children were murdered by people who were supposed to protect them, a parental figure. On September 8, 1995, nine-year-old Jonathan fell asleep on the couch in his family's apartment. With him in the living room was his six-year-old sister and two other young friends who were spending the night. Early the next morning, before dawn, Jonathan opened his eyes to see his mother's boyfriend, Pat, carrying a sleeping bag through the living room. He described the sleeping bag as red and gray, lumpy, and had hair sticking out of the top. When Pat saw the boy watching him carrying the sleeping bag, he told Jonathan to roll over, look the other way, and go back to sleep. Jonathan did as he was told, and Pat walked out the door of the apartment carrying the lumpy sleeping bag. This is little Joshua Valerie Medford and her three young children arrived in Bakersfield from Fort Worth in November 1994. The three children were Ashley, age five, Joshua, age six, and Jonathan, age nine. The circumstances that brought the young mother and her children to Bakersfield isn't entirely clear. What we do know is that when they first arrived here, they moved into the Bakersfield Women's Shelter. The family had very little or no possessions at all. While residing at the shelter, Valerie enrolled the children in Longfellow Elementary School. It didn't take long for the two McMorris boys, Jonathan and Joshua, to make an impression at Longfellow. Teachers and administrators soon realized that the boys had behavior issues. They were constantly getting into some type of trouble. After a few weeks of living at the women's shelter, 
Valerie Medford moved the four of them into the Tropicana Motel on Union Avenue. After moving into the motel, the boys continued acting out while at school. While their behavior was bad, it wasn't awful. They weren't mean kids, they weren't bullies, and they didn't get into fights. The two McMorris boys' behavior could best be described as disruptive. For example, Jonathan once pulled the school's fire alarm. You know, stuff like that. Even though Jonathan and Joshua frustrated the school's staff with their antics, they also possessed an endearing and sweet personality. The boys may have moved to California, but they kept their Texas accents and the Texas way of speaking, referring to adults as sir and ma'am. One administrator at Longfellow said this about the McMorris children, quote, they were just naughty sometimes, as if they hadn't been taught how to behave, unquote. About Joshua specifically, the same administrator said he was such a cute little boy, He'd say, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and that little Texas twang. He was a lovable little boy, unquote. The children's behavior wasn't the only issue school officials had with the McMorris children. They also had an attendance problem, and their personal hygiene was lacking. When the boys didn't come to school one day, they were discovered wandering Union Avenue near the Tropicana Motel alone. A school official said that while there were obvious signs of neglect, behavior problems, neediness, filthy hair and clothes, nobody ever saw any evidence of physical abuse. These problems were reported to and investigated by Child Protective Services. CPS workers visited Valerie Medford. They explained to the children's mother that she needed to make sure the kids attended school more often and be on time. In the spring of 1995, Valerie Medford met a man who provided the family with a stable place to live. His name was Patrick Shoemaker. He was 32 years old. So Valerie and her three children moved in with Shoemaker at his apartment off of 28th Street near Union Avenue and the 178 Freeway. After living in a shelter in a motel over the course of several months, the mother and three children had a more permanent place to live. It was a typical low-income apartment, but it was considerably more spacious than the previous places they'd lived. And there were other kids in the neighborhood that the McMorris children could play with. This move made it necessary for Valerie to transfer the kids from Longfellow Elementary to Stella Hills. Even at this new school, the behavior problems continued. On the morning of Saturday, September 9th, 1995, Patrick Shoemaker and Valerie Medford knocked on doors in the neighborhood. The couple told the neighbors that they were looking for her seven-year-old son, Joshua, they said he evidently ran away. Then they called the Bakersfield Police Department at about 11.40 a.m. to report Joshua missing. When police arrived at the apartment, the couple claimed they woke up to the boy missing from their apartment. A search began almost immediately looking for the missing child. Law enforcement and neighborhood residents banded together to look for little Joshua. 
There was an empty fill directly across from the family's apartment building. This vacant land was overgrown with weeds, reaching six feet high. It would have been an easy place for a child wanting to run away to hide. When the search party went to look in this field, Patrick Shoemaker diverted the searchers. He said Joshua was scared of snakes and would never hide there. Teachers and former teachers were interviewed to see if Joshua had contacted any of them. The search continued throughout the area, well past nightfall. Because of the extensive news coverage this story generated, most Bakersfield residents went to bed that Saturday night, well aware that a young Bakersfield boy named Joshua McMorris was missing. The following morning, Sunday, Bakersfield police were back at the apartment building to question family members more about Joshua's disappearance and the circumstances. Bakersfield police detective Kevin Legg decided to look in that empty field with overgrown weeds. And that, that is exactly where Joshua McMorris's body was found, wrapped in a red and gray sleeping bag. Police took Patrick Shoemaker and Valerie Medford into custody and brought them to police headquarters for questioning. Joshua's younger sister and older brother were taken into protective custody. An autopsy on Joshua was conducted on Monday. It revealed that the young boy died from internal injuries, a ruptured bowel that probably took several painful hours to kill the boy. The autopsy also uncovered several older injuries on the boy's body. During questioning with detectives, Shoemaker admitted to striking Joshua. The man said he went wild because Joshua drew on his bedroom wall. Shoemaker told investigators that he blacked out after hitting Joshua that one time. When confronted with autopsy photographs of Joshua's bruised body, Shoemaker claimed he had a history of sparring with the boy to teach him self-defense, to toughen him up against bullies at school. Shoemaker said that when he woke up early that Saturday morning before daylight and saw Joshua's lifeless body, he panicked. He picked up the boy in the red and gray sleeping bag and dumped it in the empty, weed-choked lot. Shoemaker told detectives that Valerie Medford had no idea Joshua was dead. He maintained she knew nothing about him discarding the body. A Bakersfield homicide detective told the media that Shoemaker beat Joshua to death over a period of time. The abuse Joshua and his siblings suffered was continual, not a one-time incident. Even though she wasn't charged with any crimes related to her son's homicide, Valerie Medford was charged with three counts of child abuse. Investigators said she may not have participated in the actual physical abuse. There is no way she couldn't have been aware that it was happening. Neighbors were furious, not only angry that a grown man could murder a child, but that that man had duped them. Shoemaker made them believe Joshua was missing and recruited the entire neighborhood to look for him when he knew exactly where the boy was because he put the body there. 
Grief counselors were sent to Stella Hills School to help students process the death of their classmate. A funeral for Joshua McMorris was held at Hillcrest Mortuary. His body was transported to Fort Worth, Texas, where he was buried. Joshua's classmates at Stella Hills School planted a tree in his memory next to a reading bench. The tree is named Joshua's Tree. In 1996, Valerie Medford was the first to go on trial. A jury convicted her of three counts of child abuse for allowing the abuse to continue. She was sentenced to three years in prison. Patrick Shoemaker's trial began in late 1996. The prosecution's star witness was Joshua McMorris's older brother, Jonathan. By then, he was 11 years old. To help soften the courtroom's intimidating atmosphere, a teddy bear was placed on the witness stand. Sitting only a few feet from his brother's accused killer, Jonathan bravely gave his account of the horrors that were inflicted upon all three McMorris children. Jonathan was caught in a lie on the witness stand. He was asked if he'd ever stolen anything. The child said no. The defense had witnesses to dispute this. Another defense argument Shoemaker's lawyers used was to claim Joshua's deadly injuries were the result of the two brothers fighting. They told the jury that Jonathan and Joshua fought so rough that it must have been nine-year-old Jonathan who killed Joshua. Shoemaker's trial lasted over three weeks. When the jury got the case to deliberate, it only took them a few hours to reach a unanimous guilty verdict. Today, Shoemaker is still incarcerated. He was eligible for parole in 2021, but he's still in prison for now. The vacant field where Joshua's body was found was cleared of the overgrown weeds. Grass and trees were planted and sidewalks were put in. Today, it's a Bakersfield City Park named Joshua Park. Resources used to research this story, the Bakersfield Californian. This is Robert Peterson. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with another notorious Bakersfield story. Have a good week.